You're listening to the Christian Civics Podcast, exploring how the gospel empowers us to think, speak, and act differently in the public square. I'm your host, Rick Barry, the co-founder and executive director of the Center for Christian Civics. And we're ending this week by closing out our mini-series of mini-episodes, exploring how the novel coronavirus is reshaping the way believers in the U.S. put their hands to the plow on a range of issues. Our guest for this episode is Talitha Phillips, CEO of Claris Health. Claris is a women's and family health center with multiple locations in Los Angeles, including a mobile clinic. They provide a range of services for men, women, and families, which we'll get into over the course of the interview. Talitha's been the CEO for the past 19 years, starting when it was just a small counseling center. But before that, she was actually a client, witnessing the impact the agency had firsthand. One important note before we jump into the conversation, though. This was recorded about a week and a half ago. And since then, obviously, a lot of cities and states have issued more stringent stay-at-home orders. Towards the end of the interview, Talitha is going to encourage us to think creatively about how to care for our neighbors during this pandemic. Depending on where you live, some of the specific examples we discuss may not be appropriate right now. Just remember, follow the best advice you can find from your local, state, and federal health officials. We're going to jump right into the interview with Talitha as she explains what Claris's goals are in serving their clients. And then we'll come back and I'll lead us in prayer. The word Claris actually means clarity. We bring clarity to what often feels like very confusing situations or brightness to what can feel like very dark moments in life and primarily work with women who are pregnant or think they might be pregnant and then their families. We also work with men as well. It's a more of a reproductive health service organization. And then we're there for people for months and years to come following a pregnancy decision. So whether they choose parenting, whether they choose adoption, um, for those that choose to have an abortion, we have an entire post-abortion support network for them. So just being there for people sort of in those critical moments and then loving them during that decision-making process and then in the months and years that follow. Are you neighborhood-based? Are you based in one city? Tell me a little bit about your programs, how your organization's services are structured. We originally were started in West Los Angeles in the 70s. So we've actually been around for more than 40 years. When I started in 2001, we were just one small, primarily counseling and social service agency. And then we became a licensed medical clinic and really felt called to move into underserved communities. We spent a lot of time as a board looking at the city and where was the greatest need. And that led us to South Los Angeles, to a very specific neighborhood that at the time was about 76% African-American. It was one of the only neighborhoods in the city that was still primarily African-American. And it was federally designated as a medically underserved area. And we moved in, in I believe, 2009. That was our first satellite. So ever since then, we've moved into a different neighborhood, but we're still in South Los Angeles. So we have West LA, South LA, and then more recently, 
we launched a mobile medical clinic that offers general health screenings, reproductive health services, and then resources and case management across the greater city of Los Angeles. Tell me a little bit about the typical Claris client. Who do you envision yourself as serving as an organization or who do you invite in? We don't have a lot of restrictions. So that is one thing that makes us unique. Almost every service we provide is free of cost. So it doesn't matter if somebody's insured, not insured, what their income status is. But most of our patients are female. She may or may not bring a partner with her. And then, you know, we have different programs. So there's different entries. We offer therapy. So sometimes a couple will contact us for therapy, whether it's a relationship issue, whether they're parenting a small child. Sometimes it's completely unrelated, but still fits sort of under the umbrella. We do have men that come to us for STD testing. So sometimes, uh, you know, we'll see a male client without a female partner. And then a lot of families, we do court mandated parenting classes, we work in the prison system, we actually bring a lot of our classes into the prison and in group reentry homes. So in that environment, you know, it may be some of them are parents, some of them are expecting parents. And um, we've primarily focused on families with kids zero to five for that. So up until about five years of age. And you mentioned uh, your services are free at point of service. You see people with insurance, without. What would you say the breakdown is? How many people come to you without insurance? More than 80% are either uninsured or underinsured. You know, and it depends. You know, West LA and South LA are different. South LA, more likely they have Medi-Cal insurance, which is our version of Medicaid, mm-hmm. uh, and often get sort of caught in the trap of trying to navigate that system. So they'll come to us because it's quicker. You know, they might live in South LA, but they're assigned a primary care provider downtown, and there's no way for them to get downtown. We see this very commonly so they can come to us. And we do prenatal care, a very specific form of prenatal care called centering. It's group prenatal care. So it's an evidence-based program that has been known to reduce preterm labor, postpartum depression. So it's very critical for communities that have high infant and maternal mortality rates. So we're able to sort of help largely that Medi-Cal population. If they qualify, they can do this group-based prenatal care, which has been wonderful. But yeah, so each location's different, but we do see a high number of uninsured or underinsured. And how are things changing for your clients as the coronavirus pandemic moves forward? I know that we're recording this probably four or five days before it's going to be released, and the world could be completely different by the time people hear this. But as of March 20, whatever this is, how have your clients' lives changed? How has your work changed? Yeah, gosh. Well, I'll focus on our our clients first. I would say, you know, the the biggest thing we're hearing is just the massive number of individuals who've lost their jobs in the last, you know, week, particularly here in California. So, so many of our families, either one or both of the individuals are in the service industry. And sometimes that, you know, we might have a young mom who's living with her parents and all three of them might have lost their job in the last week. 
So, you know, a lot of these are families who are already, you know, living paycheck to paycheck, barely making ends meet. And so this is a pretty devastating impact. We've gotten several calls in the last week of people who can't afford diapers, wipes, some of those basic essentials, or they're already on a government assistance program like WIC, but now they're going to the store and suddenly the milk that they can get with WIC isn't on the shelf. So we've had a lot of those things we've been navigating and helping people with and rethinking how we help. The other big area is that a lot of the social service agencies are closed. So that means, you know, a lack of resources for individuals and also just a lack of connection and support. There are certain places where someone can go. And then if they go there, that social service agency can help connect them. And so they've lost that now. And then the third, and this is the one that just keeps me up at night. I think that the The biggest challenge is just that so many of the people that we work with are not safer at home. So, you know, here we are in California and, you know, it's this big umbrella of this safer at home and it's on every freeway and every billboard and every sign. But the truth is a lot of families aren't. And that can be domestic violence, trafficking, abuse, neglect, mental health. For whatever reason, there are so many people who are just not in safe environments. And so there's fear. I mean, I think that the biggest thing I've heard is fear. And from our, the, the population we serve, I have not heard one person say they're afraid of coronavirus. They're all afraid of what is happening to their livelihoods or just this unknown future, that that is what they're terrified of. Does that change the kinds of conversations they're having with you? Absolutely. Yeah, the conversations are desperate. We have families who've aged out of our program who are calling us because they don't know who else to call. And we are still open. So we're answering our phones. So for a lot of people, just they start calling anyone. So there has there's been a lot of just desperation, a lot of needing help, a lot of I need to talk to somebody because I don't know what to do. Um, We have already taken people to file police reports, but the police stations are closed. So that has has been interesting to navigate. So we've had to get some people out of really unsafe situations. So yeah, our work is not stopped or slowed down at all. As you're going about responding to these things, is there anything you're seeing that neighbors or friends or other people could have taken off your plate? Where are the gaps you're seeing in people's support networks that their friends or neighbors could be filling in to lighten the load? Such a good question. And one example, last week when when this first started, we were getting just overwhelmed with calls for diapers. And very specifically, people were saying, can't find any diapers that are size four, five, and six. So we just put out SOS message saying, can anyone that is currently at home, could you help us? Could you, if you're going to CVS and getting something for your own family, could you look if there's diapers and could you grab some or wipes? And then we formed a drop-off day where we're like, these are all the things we need. Could you just meet us at this gate and then we'll come to your car so you don't have to get out of your car? Uh, We created what we're calling an emergency task force type of a a group where we're emailing out. These are important requests. Could you help us ease this burden of it just being us? A lot of people, when crisis hits, you focus inward, you know, especially when you're told stay in your home and most people are figuring out how do we homeschool our kids, which I'm in that boat too. I have two kids at home and it is, it's chaos, but 
if that was my only focus, I feel it would be very easy to be overwhelmed with just the need in my own home and forget that my neighbors might have an even bigger need and I could help fulfill that. Um, I think what's tricky is, you know, an organization like ours, we thrive on relationship. It's what makes us unique. It's looking somebody in the eye, asking them how they are, offering them a cup of tea, sitting down, making them feel like they're not a number and a four minute visit. And so having to navigate a situation like this, where you're told, try to move as much as you can online, eliminate that person to person face to face relationship. We've had to think creatively. And we've also had moments where we've said, no, this is a pressing need. This person needs to come in and we need to see them. And because we've done that and, you know, we're taking a lot of precautions and we're being very careful with our medical staff and our support staff, but there are people we've brought in that if they hadn't come to us, they would have been in a really bad situation. And so sometimes loving your neighbor means saying, yeah, we're actually going to step outside of this and we're going to say yes to something that others are saying no to because people matter. One of the things I'm really curious about and wanted to ask you about was how are the things you're praying for during this pandemic different from most other people's prayers because of the work you do? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you asked that. (laughs) As I'm sitting here, I don't think I even realize that maybe my prayers are different, but they, they probably are. I mean, my staff, our team, our hearts are broken for what's going on in the city outside of COVID-19, you know, and yes, we are very worried and heartbroken for the lives that are affected, but we're also thinking about the hundreds of thousands of other lives that are affected in different ways. And so for us, I think, you know, working with already vulnerable populations, my prayers are for them. You know, I think of the foster youth who are now in homes that are tough. They don't have family. I'm thinking of the women who are being trafficked on our streets who are now inside with their abuser, who are not meeting quotas and the increased abuse, or the single mom who's not sure how she's going to pay rent because she her child's no longer in school and she can't go to work. Our prayers are really for those around us. You know, my kids are going to survive this. My kids are going to be fine. Yes, I'm going crazy. Yes, I have cracked out technology kids running around my house and everyone's like a caged animal. Like, yes, those are all difficult things. And I go home and I want to lose my mind or I am at home working. You know, I somebody said the other day I was on a Zoom call and I'm like, everyone on this call, they're all working at home and they have these offices and I'm sitting in my bathroom because it's the only place in my house where my you know my kids are at the table they're doing schoolwork and so yes those are challenging but the moment I start to feel sorry for myself I'm immediately reminded there is a world outside here that is affected so much more than I am and mine feels temporary but for them it this feels permanent this isn't a pause for a month or a pause for a couple weeks this is your life as you know it may be very hard for a very long time. And so I think as believers, as Christians, that's something we should be thinking about. And then what does the rebuilding look like? I'm already praying for what does it look like when we try to rebuild our cities? How is the way you all are doing your work 
changed as a result of COVID-19? How are you redeploying resources? Is there anything you have needed to stop doing? What are you doing to fill that gap? I I think everything is changing. I mean, I would say we have changed our protocol. I wake up every morning and I'm expecting to hear from my medical director or nurse midwife or somebody saying, I think we should do this today because it's just changing every day. So for those that are making those decisions, it's not easy. It's not easy to make decisions that you know might actually have adverse effects. I mean, you know, a lot of people are saying we're not doing any more prenatal care visits. They're trying to do it all, you know, online or on the phone. But there's a concern of missing something, even if it's in between, you know, 12 and 16 weeks when, you know, it's not, maybe there's not much that happens. You could maybe skip the 12 week or the 16, but maybe something big does happen. And so there's a lot of things to think through in that. And, and that there are a lot of healthcare workers who have underlying medical conditions. And so, you know, if they catch coronavirus, it can be devastating. And, and we are seeing some of that happen here already. I would just encourage all of us to be really thinking through creative solutions or creative ways to get involved. And for example, we have a, a mobile clinic, and because of the, all the, the concern about the spread of the coronavirus, we decided to not do medical services temporarily on the mobile. Instead, in partnership with several others, we started reaching out to food distributors and saying, we have a truck with this giant 30-foot truck. What if we filled it and we could do food drops in housing projects? And so now we're, you know, working to try to make that happen. And I just thought there are things that we could all be creatively thinking through. All right. That was my interview with Talitha Phillips, CEO of Claris Health in Los Angeles, California. Before we close, please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are the great physician the healer of mind, body, and spirit, the great creator of life, our strong shelter and our bulwark against danger, and you are the ultimate restorer of things that have degraded. As the number of infections and the number of deaths due to the coronavirus continue to climb throughout the country and throughout the world, we pray for the healthcare workers who are working to tend to the sick and stop the spread. Thank you for the ways in which their work reflects the fact that they are made in the image of a God who was not content to leave the world to suffer under sickness and death, who was not content to just offer palliative care while sin eroded the fabric of reality. Instead, you entered the world alongside the broken and the dying. You made yourself vulnerable to death, even death on a cross, so that we could receive not just comfort, but a cure. The courage healthcare workers are showing right now, especially healthcare workers who already have underlying medical conditions, is a reflection of you. Speak that truth to their hearts. Give them the encouragement of knowing that their fight against this disease has meaning and that it connects them in a deep way to the most glorious aspects of what it means to be human. Encourage them to run this race and help them finish it closer to your son 
than they were when they started. We pray especially today for the team at Claris Health and for similar teams throughout the country. COVID-19 is urgent, but other needs didn't disappear to make room for this pandemic. We pray for every patient who feels forgotten, for every doctor and caseworker who suddenly finds their hands tied, unable to reach out in the ways that their patients and clients had come to rely on up until even a week ago. We pray for their safety, for the safety of the doctors who are interacting with the sick, for the safety of the caseworkers who are finding ways to interact with the potentially infected, and for the safety of the patients and the clients who find themselves trapped in dangerous situations because of the shelter-in-place orders. Our hearts break to hear that the catchphrase safer at home is just untrue for so many people. Protect them now, protect them tomorrow, and rescue them, please. We pray these things in the name of your Son, whose very name is Rescue, a name that your divine messenger declared on your behalf to tell us what you intend to do through him. Amen. All right, next week, the week of April 5th, we'll be back with our next regular episode, but we'll occasionally keep coming back to this mini-series every once in a while for the next few months. If there's a particular issue you care about or a particular problem in the public square that you're interested in, reach out to us on Facebook or on our website, christiancivics.org, to let us know, and we can start looking into it for future episodes. In the meantime, visit our website, christiancivics.org, for more information on Clara's health, including links where you can visit their website, how you can follow them on social media, where you can make contributions to their work, and for a transcript of this prayer, which you can use as a jumping-off point in your own prayer life, or to help lead others in prayer during this season of pandemic-induced change to the rhythm of our lives. And before we come back next week, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify if you haven't yet, and leave a four-star or five-star rating with a review. Even a one-word review like interesting, helpful, or encouraging will do a lot for our ministry. Thanks for taking the time to do that. We'll be back next week with more resources to help you navigate the public square by the light of the gospel. 